This is the Weekly Bull and Bear by WealthFest, a podcast for financial professionals. Each week, Drew Dockin and Grant Collins will have an in-depth conversation on what's happening in the markets. Good afternoon, everybody. Today, it is June 15th. Markets are up today after large declines. They were down 21%. Um, one point beginning of this week, uh, the Fed's agreed to hike benchmark interest rates up by 0.75 percent. It's the biggest increase since 1994. Uh, and then you got members predicting more hikes with benchmarks above uh, 3 percent by year end. So that's obviously the catalyst. Uh, and then we've seen treasuries, um, you know, they were up earlier this week. They're slightly down in real time, but, you know, they're still sitting at 3.37. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with, with that, let's uh, let's get started. What, what are your thoughts, Tim? Obviously, you know, the Fed move is seemed to be priced in, but that's obviously the news of the day. So, yeah, um, I don't think it was any big surprise. The Fed had done a good job of, of getting the word out that it was going to be 75 bips today. So the market isn't surprised. It is options expiry this week. So uh, there probably there's a reason why you get this greater volatility. And remember the last at the last Fed meeting, you had some some crazy volatility. You remember Fed uh, uh, Powell had a comment uh, that, that had the market very excited and we rose like two percent that day. And then the next day it was three percent. So I wouldn't extrapolate a whole lot uh, out of the move of today and tomorrow, um, you know, one thing I always say is the most dangerous word in economics is the word still. because and, and, and that is what you hear. Anybody who's trying to hang on to a bullish narrative here is talking about housing is still strong or the consumer is still strong. But if you look at what are the forward-looking economic indicators and you look at the sentiment surveys, it really is hard to be bullish here. I mean, whether it's the small businesses survey that's within the NFIB, that chart has just really crashed. Uh, Michigan sentiment surveys has crashed. The home builders survey is really starting to roll. Uh, and remember, even with home building surveys, um, you know, the, the environment is getting harder rapidly. We just got to 620 uh, on the 30-year mortgage. Don't forget, you know, it wasn't that long ago that you, you could still lock in your 30 years around 3%. So this has been a massive move. And I am a big believer that housing does lead the economy. There are some very tight correlations with a 12 or an 18-month lag that show housing and uh, GDP or ISM. So, uh, you know, while there's still a couple trillion dollars of the fiscal stimulus that are sitting in bank accounts. Much of that, especially in the bottom half of the demographic world, uh, has been has been burnt. And much of that, which is at the very top, just stays in savings. So it doesn't really have any any stimulative effect. So I think that while housing is still strong, it's weakening rapidly. While consumer spending is still strong, the sentiment surveys are telling you that it's weakening rapidly. And the other thing that's out there that people stay, say still about are earnings estimates. Well, I can tell you, having managed research departments for the last seven years of my life, earnings estimates are not forward-looking. Earnings estimates are going to lag because they are going to incorporate what the companies tell them. And companies aren't going to you know, before it's absolutely necessary, start lowering estimates. So yeah, you've still got 
earnings growth built in for this year and for next year, and we talked about it last week, the mix has changed where oil uh, energy estimates have all gone up meaningfully, whereas consumer discretionary has come down meaningfully. You still have up numbers for the S&P around 240 next year. I don't think that's a realistic number. Uh, so when people start talking about, well, valuation is this, it's really quite meaningless because we have no idea with the rate at which the economy is declining uh, and, and, and just the velocity of money is declining, do we have a real sense of where that S&P number is going to be? Don't forget 2019, pre uh, the pandemic, we were running around 190. Um, and all that stimulus created some degree of which I, what I would argue is over earning. And with a much stronger dollar, and a slower economic backdrop, I would be thinking about an S&P number that's closer to 200 than 240 or 250. Those are my thoughts to start. And I think your thoughts have been echoed by the banking executives. They had a conference this week hosted by Morgan Stanley. And obviously, we I hope you guys brought your bear spray because it looks like we're, we're, we're in and, and headed for a bear market here if you just look at the S&P 500 down 20% from its recent high. But they did have a, a pretty gloomy outlook. Uh, one big big thing to to back your your thoughts up tim is wells fargo's mortgage banking income uh is projected to drop 50 percent this quarter compared to q1 which is showing that the housing market definitely is slowing as mortgage rates are continuing to grow up everyone who wanted to refinance or or buy homes at at, at the rates that we had last year uh, when, when debt was so cheap have already done so. Uh, we're also looking at the IPO market has, for all intents and purposes, pretty much shut down. And now we have Wells Fargo, uh, the Fed coming and saying that their benchmark rate is probably going to end the year at 3.4. That's an upward revision of 1.5% from March. Um, so we can see how how rapidly the, the Fed is, is changing their mind. And, and a three-quarter uh, three quarters of a percent hike is is very aggressive. I mean, we usually talk about 25 basis points, 75 basis points is is really the largest since 1994, and, and people should should look at that. Even though the market had priced it in, uh, an overnight fund rate of that is 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 going to continue to to have a big impact um, overall on the market. The last point I'll make before we talk a little bit more about inflation here is we also did see the European Central Bank. They're also going to raise rates. They also had an emergency meeting as the borrowing cost for some European countries. The spread between the German bonds and the Italian bonds have hit the widest levels uh, since, 2020, since 2020, which is also another signal that spreads are widening in Europe, which is also big sign for, for, for our neighbors. Yeah. I mean, obviously we've seen, I think when you're looking at CPIs, um, you know, they rose 8.6% May on a year to year basis. I think some of the numbers that have really shocked me is when you're looking at, you know, the university of Michigan's gauge of consumer sentiment that fell to, you know, a record low of like 50.2. I mean, in May it was 58.4. Um, so, Really, you're kind of at a comparable low point, you know, in the middle of the 1980s coming out of that. Um, you know, you, you, there's guys from Pantheon's analysts said, you know, it's right now spending and sentiment have clearly diverged. Uh, so I think it's really a matter of time before those two kind of even out and meet each other. And CPI did 
did grow, beat expectations. Uh, the one that I always like to look at is his core CPI. So once you strip out food and energy prices, those are typically most the most volatile. You see that still at six percent. <laughs> Glad I don't live in California because seven dollar gas is pretty pretty hard to swallow. But uh, for for all the folks still driving diesel, diesel is 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 high everywhere, and that's really the backbone of our industry. If we think about trucking and, and farming, all of those machines uh, run run on diesel. And I, I think another big piece is we should talk about is the growth of, of credit card balances because that is a sign that uh, a big storm could be coming. We saw over the pandemic that there was uh, a record payoff of $83 billion in, in, in credit card debt, which was one of the largest. But now with the rise of inflation, prices of gas, groceries, housing, you name it, all the prices are going up. And so we saw that uh, credit card balances jumped nearly 20% in April, uh, breaking the pre-pandemic level. So now we have $1.1 trillion in credit card debt. And and that should, that should be a big aspect for people to focus on because credit cards primarily have variable rates. So as rates increase, the what what credit cards will charge for their interest rates will also go up and typically they are the highest interest rates. So we're seeing credit cards having about 16% uh, interest rates, which is significantly higher than just taking out a loan. And that might continue to go up as households are trying to combat inflation. And so when we take that auto loan, student debt, mortgages, households, debt is, is, is starting to balloon, which could also have a big drag when we think if we're heading into a recession in the next 18 months. Yeah, I think that's a good point because what the credit card, what the turning of credit card debt up tells you is that all of that fiscal stimulus, not all of the fiscal stimulus, but much of the fiscal stimulus went to the bottom half or really the bottom 80 or 90 percent of the economy has been spent. It's the greatest amount of that that hasn't been spent, not surprisingly, is where people have enough money to be able to save. And not only are you seeing uh, demand for, for, for credit start moving up, consumer credit moving up, but you're starting to see delinquencies moving up. So you're starting to see 30 days moving up, uh, and they're starting to move up fairly precipitously. And again, those are leading indicators that you are starting to see some consumer stress. So when somebody says, yeah, well, consumer balance sheets are in great shape, that's an average number. And that average number does a really poor job of depicting what's going on with most Americans. And what what are your th- thoughts? I mean, obviously, I mean, at, at one point we had consumer debt was in a very good place uh, due to a couple rounds of more or less universal basic income. Um, you, you know, I mean, so what was the short-term effect of that versus, you know, what are we looking at coming, you know, in the next couple quarters? Yeah, I think what you're seeing is negative real wage growth is really painful. And negative, you know, we can look at core CPI to have a sense of where overall inflation is going, but, you know, everybody lives in a headline CPI world. And if you're the bottom half of the economy, um, that, that, that cost for gasoline or diesel to fill up your truck and food inflation is very, very real. And that's eating you up. So I have to think that consumer demand uh, you're going to see weaken. And I I think my guess is you'll start to see it weaken precipitously. 
And the other thing to keep in mind then is, is we just focus on the credit card, for example, is once you're under credit card debt, it is extremely hard to get out of credit card debt because it's growing on itself. And so then you have hefty rates over a long period of time. People may sometimes have to take loans out just to just to get underneath out from underneath that. And if credit card rates continue to rise, that's just going to be uh, a really big snowballing effect. And especially if we think about the new CFO survey on recession that came out um, really in response to the confidence, if we are headed to a recession, it looks like uh, the majority, 68, responded that a recession will happen during the first half of 2023. Uh, it, it, it really, the only thing they disagreed on was when the recession was going to happen. Um, mostly all of them thought by 2024 we would be in some type of recession. We saw, we already mentioned this, but the European bank raised their rates for the first time in over a decade. Um, we just had the Fed comments. I, I think we all align here with the CFO, but if I had to put my thumb on the scale, I think I agree that we'll be in some type of recession before the first half of 2023. Yeah, I mean, you saw the Atlanta Fed go to zero on GDP here today. I mean, it may come quicker than that. When you have uh, Muhammad Elrond saying, take some chips off the table, yeah, who's usually a, a pretty big bull market guy, <laughs> you know the wave the, the wave is coming. And, you know, Drew, let's talk a little bit about what a recession looks like in, in America, because when we think about how fragile the political system is right now, Tim had a lot of thoughts on that last week, really coming into to our midterms. We may have a shift over uh, in, in Congress. We also have a labor market that is red hot with nearly two job opens for every unemployed worker uh, in March, the most since 1950. So, even though we do have some signals, what what does a recession look like? Can the Fed continue to give us a soft landing or, or, or is this going to blow up? Uh, so when you look at the history of recessions, historically they occur maybe once a decade. Um, I mean, we saw 08 and then that was coupled a little over once a decade in most recent times with, with COVID. So we're going to be seeing two within a period of pretty much as many years. Um, which, while I don't think it will be anything like, I mean, 08 was like once in a lifetime, right, since the Depression and COVID was, you know, just a massive pandemic-related drawdown. Um, so it's not, I don't think it's going to look anything like that, but based on existing, you know, fragilities and consumer sentiment, um, you know, just wide, wide levels of pessimism uh, and, and everything else, I just think that any kind of downturn is going to be, uh, just have a radically detrimental effect on just consumer psyche um, in, in a way that, you know, the price in once in a decade recession, um, you know, typically might not have. So I think a lot of it's animal spirits and uh, behavioral finance is a big part of the conversation, too. Just what does it do to a consumer if they have uh, two recessions in within a couple, within a few years? Yeah. And, and I think the question is, what does it look like coming out of it? I mean, I, I just think it's very hard. We're not breaking any news to say we think there's going to be a recession at the end of this year and early next year. But the question is, is what does monetary policy or fiscal policy look like as we try to come out of it? Don't forget, coming out of the GFC, we had fiscal stimulus and monetary stimulus. Well, we're, we now, and at its core to our long-term call at WealthVest, that we think we're going to have an episodic inflation problem in a long period of very low growth. And I would argue that the Fed put may not be there as we get 
deeper into a recession because you may still see difficulty on getting inflation down. You may still be looking at 3% and 4% core numbers or and, and headline numbers worse than that because as we talked about last week, you know, refined product issues and gasoline problems and diesel problems, those get reflected in food. So you could have really sticky headline inflation even when we're in a recession. And that's the position where after years and years of money printing and global competitive devaluation, the Fed is not in a position to really stimulate us out of it. And, uh, and, 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 and as you talked about from a political perspective, the Democrats are going to lose uh, Congress. The Republicans are not, we're not going to pass any legislation uh, with a likely Democratic Senate, a Republican Congress, and a lame duck Democratic president. Nothing is going to get passed. So there will be no fiscal stimulus. Um, it will just be a campaign that'll take us all the way to whoever the next president is in 2025. So my concern is not that we're going to go into a recession, and but it'll all, it's what does the trajectory look like coming out of it? And my view is that it's going to be a hell of a lot tougher on the other side of it without the fiscal and monetary support that we've historically been able to enjoy. And you're absolutely right. I mean, if we think back of the last four recessions, three have been when president elections are are going to happen. And each time the controlling White House lost party or lost power, excuse me. So they were the losing party, which, you know, is is, is pretty obvious statement. But it, it is something to keep in mind as we are coming through midterms and then in 2024 uh, going to be electing a new president. Um, so th that's one thing to think about. The other thing to think about is if we think of compare this to 2007, the banks stress tests have been uh, optimized for different market conditions. This is something that they might not have optimized for. And we could see the huge derivative houses that have grown the clearing houses to high speed bond traders. Something goes wrong on Wall Street. I think it's going to be really hard for the Fed to bail out Wall Street when you think about the end consumer who are fighting high gasoline prices, the housing market's been red hot for the last two years. Uh, so I, I don't see how the Fed could bail out, we call it Main Street, before Wall Street again this time, um, especially after people still talk about 2008, even though, in my opinion, the Fed had to do it because people all of a sudden wouldn't be able to get cash out of their ATMs and that would have <laughs> caused a big a big spending and also the fed made a couple bucks on it charging uh, all those uh, investment banks uh, a, a nice little interest rate so but i i digress i think the other thing is and tim you called it um so when you're right you're right but you know we'd have seen biden in a letter trying to urge U.S. oil companies to increase refining capacity as we still talk about record high gas prices that's pretty big for the president to do that. And then also we see him maybe trying to roll back tariffs on some Chinese goods to ease inflation. I think that's more signaling than actually will make a big difference on the consumer price. But we are seeing the, the Biden administration really scramble, scrambling to try and do something to combat inflation. And I, I, in my opinion, we still have the supply chain shortages and, and and rising prices and capacity issues that are going to be here to stay. It's not just going to happen overnight and people are going to have some pain for the next couple of months. 
Yeah, we're not adding refining capacity. It's not going to happen. As I said uh, last week, you, you could talk to half a dozen energy analysts on Wall Street. You're not going to find any of them who believe that you're going to add more than a tick of refining capacity. The refining capacity that has come out is permanently come out, and there is no appetite from investors uh, to support more CapEx. Refining investors want the cash back, and next year they're going to want the cash back again, and that isn't going to change. Anything else uh, we might have overlooked this week? Um, one thing I've been looking at is obviously Coinbase had an interesting uh, news. They're laying off 18% of their workforce or 1,100 workers, which, uh, I mean, you got a lot of people on F1 visas who apparently left jobs at Google and Microsoft and everything else to work for them. And now that entire crypto space is just hemorrhaging. Um, so I don't know what levels of stress look like, but clearly not an inflation hedge um, like Ethereum and some of the other ones, you know, it's with higher energy costs, it, it's no longer profitable to mine. So I don't know whether we see, you know, a lot more hurt in that space, but that's obviously one everyone's been talking about. Yeah, I, I would make two points. I mean, when the Fed is raising interest rates and the Fed is raising interest rates aggressively, um, their goal is, and this is not my term, but uh, somebody who I respect says, this is called Operation Break Shit. And this is where you find, you know, who's swimming naked, as they say, to keep throwing metaphors at you. Um, you know, this is, this is a tool of speculation. Cryptocurrencies are a tool of, of speculation. And I must say, I'm surprised that Gary Gensler uh, has not been more aggressive in going out and going after the frauds. I mean, the idea of stable coins that are supposed to be one-to-one -one pegged to the dollar and yet aren't backed by anything, I mean, that's a fraud. It may be a super, super complicated fraud that some people believe in, but it's still a fraud. Uh, and I just think that we're in a period here where governance has failed. When Elon Musk uh, lowers, you know, if, if you're a company and you want to lower uh, your guidance, you drop an 8K. You don't send an internal letter saying we're having a terrible quarter to do it. That's, that's not what the rules are. And I just think that you are going to see, it'll be late, but you are going to see a return to regulation. There has to be a rule of law. Uh, and I think it's, I'm, I'm frankly disappointed that Gensler and this administration hasn't been a little bit more muscular uh, around um, around you know, clamping down on some of the rampant fraud uh, that has that has persevered across the cryptocurrency space. And I think everyone on this podcast knows my thoughts on cryptocurrency. I, I personally hope they all go to zero so we have to stop talking about them because uh, it's really the blockchain technology. There's no value to it. It's not like you're buying a stock and you can see cash flows or a bond where you're looking at the credit rating and trying to get cash flows back. I mean, they're, they're, you're just effectively, it's a Ponzi scheme. You're telling someone that you're going to buy it at a later at a later price for more than it's worth. Um, I, I do feel bad for that one guy who forgot his password and lost millions of dollars because he couldn't get his his blockchain. But you know what goes around comes around. Um, we, we, we did also see Celsius uh, report restructuring. So they're one of the largest crypto lenders. So they hired a law firm because they need to do restructuring. Bitcoin fell to an 18 month low uh, today and it went below 20,000 for the first time in 18 months. Uh, so, you know, all in all, that that is one thing to look at. 
one other thing, Drew, Tim, that I've been looking at is uh, Compass and Redfin. So two of the largest real estate brokerage said they're laying off a large amount of their staffs. So in regulatory filings, because they actually follow the rules, unlike Elon Musk. And I don't want to go off a tangent on him because he's also on my shit list. Um, <laughs> but uh, Compass is letting off 10% of their staff and Redfin 6%. And really this gets back to rising mortgage rates uh, have begun to have an impact on the housing market. So when we see rates rise, all of a sudden the housing market begins to cool and, and we've already begun to see that. So uh, ha- that the housing market has begun to dampen and, and, and flatten. And that's uh, one sign of it is when you start to see brokerage get rid of staffing. Yeah, there's no, there's just no two ways about it. You, you, the, the, the housing market is going to slow. When your cost to carry on a house doubles, prices are going to start to come in, and that's what the sentiment surveys and housing are telling you. And let's just hope a lot of these folks don't have uh, convertibles or, or or very floating rates here. I hope everyone got the thirty year fixed. <laughs> yeah, no, but but what you see, late cycle, just like you saw in oh uh, seven oh eight, and just like now, you start to see as rates rise, actually money moves more towards adjustable rates. Yep. Markets are insidious that way. <laughs> All right, sounds good, gentlemen. Um, thanks for your time today. Uh, we'll be we'll be back at it next week. So thanks for all our listeners for the likes and subscribes, and and we're out. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the host, and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wellfest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by Wellfest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthFest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthFest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked to any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Investment and investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal.